Bible with you, let's go to Ephesians chapter 3. Don't you love that church to see the next generation praising God and boldly standing for Him? Ephesians chapter 3, we're going to read verses 13 through 21. We came to this text two weeks ago, and there was just too much in the text for us to cover in one sermon, and so we uh, covered uh, verses 13 through 16 uh, the last time we were together in this text, and today we're going to finish it out, but I want to read it in its totality so that we understand uh, what is going on here and what the subject is. It says in Ephesians 3.13, Wherefore I desire that you faint not at my tribulations for you, which is your glory. For this cause I bow my knees unto the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, of whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named, that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with might by his Spirit in the inner man that Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith, that ye being rooted and grounded in love may be able to comprehend with all saints what is the breadth and length and depth and height, and to know the love of Christ which passeth knowledge, that you might be filled with all the fullness of God. Now unto him, that is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think, according to the power that worketh in us unto him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus throughout all ages, world without end. Amen. Let's pray. Oh, Heavenly Father, it is our privilege to come into your house today to embrace the promise that where two or three are gathered in your name that you are in the midst to know that as we read your word that we hear your voice clearly and so father I pray that today as we enter into this divine exercise of preaching that Lord your Holy Spirit would grasp our attention and deliver your message into our hearts minds and souls Lord, I pray and ask that you would help us to discover this strength that is available to us when ours is exhausted and that we might realize that it is greater than anything we could ever imagine and that too often we don't realize the full potential that is available to us. God, help us today to take a step and reach a new level in our Christian faith and life. I pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Here at the end of chapter 3, the Apostle Paul expresses his second prayer for his brothers and sisters in Christ. At the end of chapter 1, he prays for them to have enlightenment, that they might be able to see clearly those things that they possess in Christ. And then here at the end of chapter 3, he prays that they would have divine empowerment, that they would recognize and realize the power that is in them in Christ, not just a theoretical power, but a real, actual power that enables them to live the Christian life for Christ. In the first sermon on this text, in which we covered those verses 13 through 16, we noted that the prayer was prompted by Paul's concern of the news of his trouble and tribulation that might cause these Ephesians to uh, kind of lose heart, to faint, to have the wind taken out of their sails. We have to understand that the Apostle Paul is 
Man, he is one of the chief leaders in the movement of Christ at this time of the writing. And that he is like the superhero, if you will, who is boldly out there preaching the word, turning the world upside down, starting churches, writing letters, and really spearheading an entire movement. And now he has been arrested. He has been imprisoned. He has been taken off of his circuit of preaching. And now he is in the judicial circuit waiting for his trial and as you can imagine those who have been saved under his preaching and have heard him and heard about him could be discouraged by the fact that this chief spokesman for Christ now has been silenced somewhat by the Roman Empire and so the apostle Paul prayed for them Because he didn't want them to find their strength in his performance. He didn't want them to find their strength in his vocalness. He wanted them to discover that they have strength in Christ. And he wanted them to live in that strength even when their own strength was exhausted. And so he prayed for them that they might be strengthened with might by the Spirit in the inner man. But the apostle's not finished there. You see, because we seem to have a tendency to to use these kinds of phrases, but to come short of seeing them fully realized in our own personal lives. We talk about things like, well, the Lord is my strength and the Lord is my joy or the joy of the Lord is my strength. God is my peace. He gives me comfort in times of trouble. Or we might say something like, well, my hope is in the Lord. And and we use those phrases quite a bit as Christians. But I am afraid that we don't always fully realize or experience them in our life. A lot of times it's just a word, it's just a phrase. It's something that we feel we're expected to say when things aren't going right. Well, the Lord will give me peace. And then we go home and we stay up all night worrying because we have no peace. You see, that is not what the Apostle Paul wants for the Ephesians. It is not what God wants for you and I. He wants you and I to realize that these are more than slogans, more than catchphrases, more than than salesman talk. This is a reality of what we have in Christ. You and I have a strength available to us through the Holy Spirit in the inner man that will keep us from fainting and fading and burning out as we try to live for Christ. And so as Paul continues to pray in this text, he reveals three keys to realizing the full potential of God's strength in their life. I want you to notice them with me. Number one is deepening your faith. In verse 17, he he makes this statement. After he prays for them to be strengthened with might by his spirit in the inner man, he goes on to say that Christ might dwell in your hearts by faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love. Well, uh, you grammar geeks might uh, notice something that others have noticed, and that is that Paul seems to mix his metaphors here, right? And uh, that's, uh, that's an English faux pas, I guess. You're not supposed to mix those metaphors. Uh, roots are on trees, foundations are on buildings, and, you know, what are you doing, Paul, playing all willy-nilly out here with your metaphors and mixing them together like that? 
However, however, they do work together because they both refer to the foundation below the surface line. And as we are dealing with inspired scripture and not simply the writings of a man, perhaps Paul mixes these metaphors to emphasize that this is both where you are planted and how deep you dig that will have a direct impact on your growth. You say, I want to have that strength. I I want to have that strength in the inner man. I'm telling you, life wears me down sometimes, and and sometimes the difficulties are overwhelming, and, and I feel like I'm just fading out and that I just can't continue with the same zeal and tenacity that I have. I want to know how to tap into that inner strength that I have in the Spirit. Paul says, here's one of the ways you do it. You deepen your faith. And you say, how do I deepen my faith? And Paul says, well, it's like roots. And it's like a foundation. It's like both of those. You see, because it is about where you plant yourself, but it's also about how deep you dig where you're planted. For example, Jeremiah 17 and Psalm 1 both use the metaphor of where a tree is planted as an illustration of its health, its growth, and its fruitfulness. Listen to how Jeremiah uses this illustration. He says, Blessed is the man that trusts in the Lord, and whose hope the Lord is, for he shall be as a tree planted by the waters, and that spreads out her roots by the river, and shall not see when heat comes, but her leaf shall be green, and shall not be careful in the year of drought, neither shall cease from yielding fruit. So Jeremiah is using this illustration. He is trying to teach a spiritual principle to people, and he is trying to do it at a level where they could see it or see it illustrated in their daily lives. And so he says it's like this. It's like a tree that's planted near the water. And so they were living in an arid environment. That means that the water table wasn't super high and that it was a very dry climate and that there were dry seasons. And in those seasons of dryness, those trees that were not close to a water source would dry up. They would fail. They would shed their leaves. But there was this anomaly, if you will. Uh, I saw it when we lived out west. Every time we would drive west out of Colorado, we were about about uh, 100 miles from the Utah border, and we would drop down into Utah. I'm telling you, Utah is an interesting uh, topography. If you've never been there, it is very dry. It is very arid. It is very rocky. Uh, it is somewhat like the Middle East. But as you were driving along the interstate, all of a sudden you would see in the distance these green spots. And it would immediately catch your eye because it was out of place. Everything else was reddish, tannish, dry looking. And then you would see these strips of green. And as you got closer, you would discover there was a river running through that area. And the vegetation stayed lush because it had roots that were able to access that water. Say, okay, I got it, I got it. I, I know what you're saying. I've seen that. I can see it in my mind's eye that, that, that for a tree to grow, it needs to have that water source. But, but, but how does this apply to me? How does this apply to my faith? And that's where Psalm 1 gives us some further insight as to what it means for God's people to be planted by the waters. 
It says in Psalm 1, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And in his law does he meditate day and night. And he shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that brings forth his fruit in his season. His leaf also shall not wither and whatsoever he does shall prosper Remember last week we talked about the sufficiency of Scripture, that Scripture is sufficient to interpret itself. This is a demonstration of that. Here it is. Jeremiah tells us that a tree planted by the water is going to be fruitful, it's going to be green, it's not going to have to worry when the heat and the drought comes. The things that would cause other trees to faint or dry up is not going to affect these trees. And then we read in another part of the Bible that the man who plants himself or the woman who plants herself in the Word of God is like a tree planted by the waters. Hey, you say, man, my life is awfully dry. It seems barren. I feel like I am fading away. I would ask you, how long has it been since you have drank from the waters of His Word? Is it your daily habit? Do you meditate upon it day and night? Because this is what is going to keep you green in the dry season. This is what is going to make you fruitful in times of drought. This is what is going to sustain your spiritual health if you want to deepen your faith then you need to deepen your roots in his word the other metaphorical word that is used in our text is grounded rooted and grounded and uh, grounded is reminiscent of Jesus's parable of the wise man and the foolish man who built houses. Do you remember that? In Luke chapter 6, verses 47 through 49, he gives a parable of a man who builds a house and he digs down deep to the rock and he lays the foundation and builds the house upon it. And when the storms come, it is not phased. But then there's another man who doesn't dig down. He just builds his house on the sand, on the surface. And and then when the storms come, it destroys the house. house falls because it did not have the foundation Uh, the foolish man was not grounded he was superficial in his faith because he had no foundation the parable that Jesus was telling was in direct correlation to the word of God because he begins it by saying the man who hears the word of God and does the word of God is like a man who builds a house and digs down to the foundation. But the man who hears the word of God and does not do the word of God is like a man who builds his house on the sand. And so again, we have this continuity in scripture that has to do with us being rooted in the word, but one of them is where we are planted we are planted in the word the other is digging down into it how deep do you go into the word now not to throw any shade at our daily bread but honey if all you're doing is reading a piece of a verse every single day that's not very deep you ought to actually pick up God's document the Bible And read a few verses for yourself. You don't have to read a certain number of chapters. You don't have to read an entire book in one setting. But I am telling you, there's a depth to the Word of God that will sustain you. 
that will saturate you with the truth of God and that will help you to deepen your faith. And so if you want to grow in strength, then deepen your faith by planting yourself in God's Word and follow through by obeying it as your highest authority because it is more than simply reading it and observing it. It is actually taking it and implementing it into our lives and allowing it to direct us and to correct us and to instruct us and to grow us and to develop us. It is the Word of God that will change us and will deepen our faith. You say, I want a deeper faith. You're not going to get it outside of the Word of God. You're not going to get it simply through experience. You're not going to get it simply through prayer. You're not going to get it simply through listening to Christian radio. You've got to come to the source. You've got to get your roots in the water of the Word. Then, the second key that the Apostle Paul gives us to tapping into this strength that is in Christ is found in verses 18 and 19, and that is comprehending God's love. Comprehending God's love. Notice the language of verses 18 and 19, that you may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and the length and the depth and the height, and to know the love of Christ that passes knowledge. You see, next Paul prays for Christians to be strengthened by comprehending God's love. But watch this. Dimensionally. Did you notice that? That you might be able to comprehend the breadth, the length, the depth, and the height. You know, that's an interesting intellectual exercise like, like there's something to that. It's more than him just saying, I want you to comprehend the love of God. He actually gives this guidance. I, I, want you to, I want you to try and think about it in its breadth, in its length, in its depth, and in its height. You know, when a professor is trying to teach an abstract concept, they will use models or analogies to actually direct their students to to take the right steps in order to help them comprehend or frame it in their minds. You know, we talk about the love of God, and we see the love of God demonstrated in Christ, and we're told that we're supposed to love others the way that God loved us. But in some ways, it is this abstract concept. It is this otherworldly love love that, that we really haven't seen or touched or, or fully explored with our minds. And so the Apostle Paul says, look, I want you to do this little exercise with me. I want you to try to comprehend God's love by thinking about it in this framework. And so he tells us to think about the love of God in the dimensions of size. Now, it would be a true statement to say that God's love is immeasurable. That would be an absolutely true statement. There are no human terms of measurement by which we could accurately describe the love of God. But it is a helpful exercise for us to think in those terms. Because what it's going to do is it's going to expand our comprehension. As we think of it in its width, its length, its depth, its height, it is a great aid to our comprehension. Let me, let me just test it on you. Ready, class? How wide 
is God's love. Now, all of a sudden, our mind takes a whole different direction, and I'm thinking with how wide is God's love? How long is God's love? And again, our mind starts thinking about the length of things. And then, how deep is God's love? And we probably hear the song, How Deep the Father's Love for Us. And we start thinking about the depth of love. And then, how high is God's love? Again, it is simply an exercise that the Apostle Paul is employing to try and to expand the comprehension of the incomprehensible. Right, Because he says to know the love of God that passes knowledge. How can I know something that is past knowing? Well, you can expand your comprehension about it. You can know more. Even though you may know, never be able to discover it all, you can expand your comprehension into more than what you have now. But I would say this. We could say it this way. God's love is worldwide, eternity long, hell deep, heaven high, right? Those are pretty good markers that we have there. But can I tell you this? Even if we do kind of frame out the dimensions of it, do you understand that, that, that we are, are, are simply comprehending the dimensions, like the, the trace outline of it? Let me give you an, an example, if I can, of this. Um, I could tell you that the Empire State Building is 187 feet wide, 424 foot long, 55 feet deep in its foundation, and 1,250 feet tall, not counting its, its antenna or, or its peak on the top of it. Yet that only helps you comprehend the size. All, all that do, does is, is help you think, well, that's a really, really big building. If it's 424 feet long, man, that's, man, that, that, that's like long as a, a football field, right? And, and, and it's 1,250 feet tall. Well, that's taller than, than the mountains that we have around here. But think about that. that. That only helps you comprehend its dimensions. It doesn't say anything about the 10 million bricks that make up the Empire State Building. It doesn't even alert you to the 730 tons of steel that frame out the Empire State Building. It doesn't inform you that there's 600,000 miles of wiring inside the Empire State Building. Not to mention the details of its architecture, the thousands of its offices, or the innumerable business transactions that take place within its walls. You understand? All we did was give the dimensions of how wide, long, deep, and tall it was. It doesn't even begin to touch the surface of what happens inside of that building. And I would say the same is true for you and I when it comes to comprehending the love of God. While it is a tremendous exercise to help us try and think about how wide or how deep or how long or how tall it is, is. All we're doing is framing it out, and then we begin to think, well, look at all that is involved in the love of God. That may be intimidating to you. You might say, well, I just, how am I going to comprehend the love of God? You know, I, 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 I'm easily distracted. I'm not a philosophical person. I, you know, what? How, how, how would you suggest that I comprehend the love of God as Paul's describing here. And uh, I, I would use an illustration that I read years ago when I was in college in a, in a class on inductive Bible study. 
And the point that the writer was trying to make is that God has given you some tremendous tools of observation. He's given you eyes, he's given you a mind, he's given you ability to, to use a pen or pencil and to write some things down. And so the whole point of the book uh, was how to study the Bible for yourself without running to a commentary or to another aid or something like that, but simply getting in the Bible and reading for yourself. And to illustrate this principle, he told the story of a famous professor from Harvard that taught there in the late 19th century. His name was uh, uh, Louis Agassiz, and he was a world-renowned zoologist and uh, actually instituted the Museum of Natural History that is there. And so one day uh, there was a student who came to Professor Agassiz and said, I, I, I want to study zoology. And the professor uh, said, when do you want to start? He said, right now. And he said, great. And so the professor took a jar off of the shelf that had a pickled or preserved fish in it. And so if you've never been in a science lab, this is the way they used to do it. And so it was a species of fish that had been caught. It had been placed in the alcohol, and it was preserved. And so the professor gave him instructions, and he said, I want you to take the fish out of the jar, lay it on the tray, make sure that you keep it saturated so that it doesn't draw out, and I want you to observe it. I want you to learn everything that you can learn about that fish. According to the student, he did that in about 10 minutes. He knew everything that he could know about the fish in 10 minutes. And so he looked around for the professor, and the professor was nowhere to be found, and so he followed his professor's instructions and began to look at the fish a little bit more. And he started to count its scales and to notice its fins. And then it came uh, an hour or so by, and, and thankfully it was lunchtime, and so he needed a break. So he put the fish back in the jar, and he goes to lunch, and he comes back from lunch, and he's looking for the professor to see if he can get out of this that he's done, and the professor's not there. And so trying to be a good student, make a good impression, he gets the fish back out, puts it on the tray, begins looking at it. And this time, out of boredom, he sticks his finger in its mouth to check out its teeth to see how sharp they are. And then, then when he's exhausted everything that he knows, he takes out a pencil and he begins to draw the fish. And about that time, the professor walks up and he says, Hey, that is, that is a great practice you're doing there. That, that pencil is like a third eye that you can use. Tell me what you've discovered about this fish. And so the student tells him some of the things he's discovered about the fish. And the professor says, that's good. But you've missed the most obvious thing about that fish. I'll tell you what, once you wrap it up for today and uh, come back tomorrow, I'll quiz you on it and uh, you, can, you can work on it again tomorrow. And so this student said that this went on for three days. Just him and a fish on a tray with a pencil and then a paper. And he said to his surprise, he discovered things about that fish that he hadn't noticed before. And when the professor quizzed him and felt that he had observed everything that he could observe, on the fourth day, the professor brought out a second fish in the same family, the Hemulon family. And this student said that went on until every fish in the Hemulon family had been brought out for review. And the point of the story was this. You and I can learn much from simply interacting and observing with the Word of God. And so I know how the experience is with the Bible. 
Oh, I'm going to get my Bible reading calendar out. I'm going to do it this year. I'm going to read through the Bible this year. And we read, and man, those first couple of chapters, pretty interesting. They move along. God created, God created, God created, God created. Oh, the second three chapters, pretty good because God then brings it to the flood and destroys, and we get a little ways in. But man, it's not too long till we start reading some names and some genealogies, and we're like, man, this really is kind of boring. When do we get to the good stuff? And you start to check out and go superficially. And you and I have the greatest resource in the entire world at our disposal. We have the inspired Word of God. And the inspired Word of God is really a record of God's love from beginning to end. From beginning to end, God created this world not because He had to, not because He needed to. He did it because He chose to share His life and His love. And so he created a special species called human beings who had the capacity to have a reciprocal relationship with him. And those people, that species, committed a sin. They turned their back on God. They blew it. They severed the relationship. And then the love story becomes a story of redemption, that this God who was betrayed by these ones that he committed now is on a mission to redeem them and restore them so that he can have a loving relationship with them. It climaxes as Jesus Christ comes to the earth and he dies on the cross for our sins so that we can be saved and brought into this loving relationship with God. So I am telling you that, that if you would simply spend some time in God's Word, plant yourself there, dig down into it, and begin observing it, you'll see things like this. John 3, 16, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. You will come to John 13, 1, and it says that as Jesus is about to go to the cross, it says, having loved his disciples, he loved them to the end. And then you'll get to John 15, 13, and it'll say, greater love has no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. And you'll get to the book of Romans, and Romans 5, 8 will say, But God commended his love toward us, and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And then you'll reach the, the, the epistles of John and you'll come to 1 John 3, 1. And John exclaims, Behold, what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us that we should be called the sons of God. And I'm telling you, friend, if you just read the Bible with a pencil and you begin to mark every time it talks about the love of God, you will expand your comprehension, you will deepen your faith, and you will open the door to God's strength flooding into your life. Because let me tell you something, there's nothing as powerful as being loved and most of the problems that you and I have in our own self thoughts is when we don't feel loved and valued but when you have the undeniable unconditional unending love of the God of the universe it gives you a strength that you cannot find anywhere else. The third and final key that the apostle gives is in verses 19 and 20, and that is to increase your capacity. Increase your capacity. 
picking up in the second half of verse 19, that, that you might be filled with all the fullness of God. Now unto him that is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think according to the power that worketh in us. That statement is highlighted in my Bible because it has intrigued me since the first time I read it that you might be filled with all the fullness of God. Hey, I may not be able to really explain to you everything that there is about the fullness of God, but I know this, I want to be filled with it. If that's an option, you see, because I've been filled with a lot of other stuff. I've been filled with hate. I've been filled with depression. I've been filled with sadness. I've been filled with joy. But I want to be filled with the fullness of God. If that's an option at the ice cream shop, that's the flavor I'm picking. Because I'm pretty sure that's better than anything else that is out there. Speaking of ice cream, let me share with you a life hack I discovered. If you go to Dairy Queen and get you a blizzard, you can get them to put two different topping mixtures in there for 79 cents more. <laughs> and that's next level stuff. I'm telling you, Butterflanger and Heath in the same blizzard. Whew. And the fullness of God is better than that. The fullness of God is, is like the ocean. And we're like a cup. And the cup cannot contain the entire ocean, but the cup can be entirely filled with ocean water. There's always more ocean. The only limitation is your capacity or the capacity of the cup. So if you want more ocean water, you get a larger container. If you want more of the fullness of God, you need to increase your capacity. God will fill whatever container you have. But God's not satisfied just with filling your little thimble container. He wants to increase your capacity. He wants to expand your vessel so that you can be filled with the fullness of God. And by the way, here's how that happens. You have to come to the end of your strength... Deepen your faith, expand your comprehension, and that will increase your capacity. I think the first one's the hardest one for us, isn't it? Because that's where it all began. He's praying for them that they faint not. Hey, they've got to come to the end of their strength. As long as they are feeling strong and virile and have their own self-reliance, they're never going to be filled with the fullness of God because they're filled with themselves. And the same is true for you and I. And so we've got to embrace those things that wear us down and wear us out and bring us to our wits' end because that is the narrow entrance into the fullness of God. Of God. Look at verse 20. Paul stacks up the superlatives in this closing statement. He says, Now unto him that is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think. I want you to get the full impact of that. And I think we, we get a full impact if we read it in reverse comprehensively. And so let me, just, let me just work that out for you. God can do all that we ask or think. 
right? Is that what it says in its basic form? God can do all. It, it doesn't start with some. It doesn't start with more. It doesn't start with most. God can do all that you ask or think. Oh, hold on a minute. You, you're talking about anything I can think. You're talking about what I can imagine, not, 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 not what I have experienced or, or, or not even what I can envision myself accomplishing. Like you're talking full-blown realm of imagination. God can do all that I think. Well, no. Ah, I knew it. I knew it. I got you. He can't really do all. Well, no, he can do more than all. You see, because if we add the next superlative, it says God can do above all that we ask or think. Well, wait a minute. You're telling me that when I get to the end of my imagination of what I think God can do, how powerful I think God is, how much love I think God has, uh, he goes beyond that? Well, yes and, and, and no. Oh, there it is. You're telling me, no. The answer is he can do even more because if we add the next superlative, it says God can do abundantly above all that we ask or think. So it's not just all that I think, and it's not just barely above. Like, like I, I've pushed God to his limit, but he can give a little bit more than that. No, he can do a, abundantly above all that you ask or think. And then just for good measure, he throws in one more superlative. Just in case your imagination is so small and so limited and you've reduced God to a box and outside of that box is the above all, the abundantly above all. He said, no, let me, let me just clear it out once and for all. God can do exceeding abundantly above all that you ask or think. I'm telling you, we have to increase our capacity to imagine to comprehend, to think of all that God can do. And here's the clincher, verse 20. According to the power that works in us. You see, the entire text is about the strength that is in Christ in you. And so God can do exceeding abundantly above all that we think or ask through the power that is actively, energetically working in you. You're sitting on a gold mine. You're sitting on a powerful resource. If you are a Christian and you have Christ in you, you have strength available to you that goes beyond the imaginary. The only limitation to God's fullness, the only limitation to God's strength, the only limitation to God's love is your capacity to think it, to comprehend it, to believe it. And you might say, well, but, 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 but that was in the New Testament and the Apostle Paul's life and they were doing miracles back then. And is that really still possible for Christians today? Well, I don't know. Consult the text, verse 21. Unto him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus throughout all ages, world without end. Amen. The same strength, the same power, the same love, 
The same God that is being spoken about here to the Ephesians is the same for you and I as Christians today. So stop being defeated. Get rid of that mentality that tells you that you can't do it and believe in the God who can because there is strength in Christ. Would you bow with me? As we bow our heads, close our eyes for just a moment. I really believe that this is one of those messages that is better to take home with you to meditate on, to think about, to ruminate, to take this passage of Scripture this week and read through it and let it prompt you and lead you to the other text of Scripture that you need to examine that talk to you about the love of God and the strength of God and the fullness of God and to bring that into the reality of your life. Oh, friends, there's so much more than you and I have even imagined. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for the way that it not only instructs us, but how that it guides us and expands us and alerts us to what we don't know and what we need to explore. Oh, Father, forgive us for reducing you down to a God of limited powers. There's no doubt that you are truly unlimited and that you have made available to us your unlimited resources, strength, power, fullness, and that it is we who limit it in our lives. Lord, help us to be done with those limitations. Help us, Lord, to deepen our faith. Help us to comprehend your love and help us to increase our capacity. And I pray that in Jesus' name, amen.